So, if you're going to go someplace, what do you think you need? And if you've never been there before, and check it out. Map. A map. So, the teachings are basically maps. Huh? They're not the thing itself. So, when we talk about Buddhism or when we talk about the path of awakening, the, all the teaching, all the words and instructions are by way of maps. They're not the experience themselves. You can have good maps and you can have bad maps, right? So a map is a good idea, and of course, the better your map, the, um, the easier it is to follow, the easier it is to find, and the less frustrated you get. However, you can't get to Tokyo from Kyoto by just sitting in your house and reading a map, right? you got to go down to the station or whatever, get on your bicycle, or you know, in the old days, I guess you walked. So the most uh, salient features of this situation are where do you want to go <laughs> and what map do you have? So let's say that you wanted to go to Tokyo and you had a map to Okinawa. Would that be terribly useful? No. might be a perfectly good map to Okinawa, but that's not where you wanted to go. And you're going to Tokyo. That's where you want to go. And your map is to Okinawa. That's a slight problem already, don't we? So when we talk about awakening, we're going to argue that as a human being, as a human being, never mind your career or your husbands or wives or families or friends, all of which are fine, but that fundamentally where you want to be going is to the awakened state of mind, right? and that as a human being, that is your birthright, and that's kind of the reason human consciousness has developed to be capable of it. I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. Say that you were a mother and you had no breast, right? Then it would be hard to nurse your baby, right? Now, if you come along and you put in a breast on a mother, then you'd figure that breast has some purpose, yeah? And, that, and given when you're pregnant, the breast will produce milk, you assume that the baby should be going to the milk for the breast because the umbilical cord from the baby's belly button to the breast is exactly that long. It, you know, if you kind of figure it out. And this thing here, this baby's got an umbilical cord that just reaches to here, right? And so, you know, you kind of figure it out that the baby's supposed to be going to the breast. Well, if you look at it from the point of view of awakening, human consciousness has developed to develop a cerebral cortex. This is the two hemispheres at the front of the brain. And the awakening has become possible because of the development of the cerebral cortex. You have two other brains, right? You have the what they call the reptilian brain or the mammalian brain, which is just a little bulb that sits on the top of your spinal cord. And that tells you how to run away from lions and how to eat bananas and, and how to run from leopards and not that there are many lions and leopards in Tokyo, but maybe guys with bushy faces and beady eyes, <laughs> the equivalent thereof. And then you have this little two half moons that sit on either side of that brain. That's called the limbic brain. That brain is the storehouse for memory and uh, emotion, curiously enough. So the purpose of memory and emotion is to tell you when to run <laughs> and whether or not you can produce babies with that and whether or not it's edible. So the emotional memory brain is to do storehouse information 
that this is edible, that this is poisonous, that this is safe and that that's dangerous. That when the thunder clouds roll in and the lightning strikes, you get yourself into a cave. Right? So in this, in a sense, these two brains are very uh, are very survival orientated and very species orientated for a human being. But the latest development, of course, is this cerebral cortex, the two half moons that sit on the front of your head. And it's with the development of the cerebral cortex that awakening has become possible. So you might say that before the development of the cerebral cortex, we were clever monkeys. And that with the development of the cerebral cortex, another ability showed up, what I've used in my metaphor as a breast. If the cerebral cortex shows up, what's it for? Well, it not only produces the possibility for the transcendent experience or the awakening experience, which in the teaching we call change of lineage. We change our lineage from being human to transhuman, I suppose. I haven't really put a label on it yet. It also gives you the capability of being a mathematician or an electrician or a chartered accountant or an engineer or a, um, a culinary chef or a classical musician. And In other words, this development of the cerebral cortex has brought you into a possibility as a human being that is as far away from human being as a monkey is from human. So the awakened consciousness is the evolutionary step for humanity in total, not just a few Buddhas and Christ. I mean, you know, it's like popcorn. When you make popcorn, you put a few kernels in the pot, right? And when the first three pop, then you throw in a whole bunch. Well, the awakening is like that. We had Jesus and we had Buddha and maybe a few, well, a few others. But historically, it's been slow. But now we're at a point in history where it's time to throw in the whole bottle, or, you know, at least a big part of it. And in fact, you're going to be seeing more and more people awaken more and more speedily, more and more easily than ever before in history. So that's the first argument, that the destination is not uh, Tokyo, but the destination for the human species is awakening. And the maps we have are all for Okinawa. Now, there are a few maps out there, right, like getting rich, being famous, getting a better job, you know, getting a nicer apartment. These are all wonderful places to go. This is, this is all good stuff, you know, nicer dress, better makeup, you know, airplanes, toilets, flush toilets, you know, these are all wonderful things to have, right? But they're kind of uh, maps to Okinawa in terms of what our metaphor is. And the maps to... Tokyo have been Buddhism and Christianity and shamanism and, and, and pantheism and nature mysticism and Hinduism and you know there have been a few of them and those maps have been useful but those maps curiously enough seem to apply to an earlier model right and what's happening since then is that the human consciousness is moving into a more complex dynamic still an awakening but a more complex awakening a more dynamic awakening a fuller awakening And so the reason not many people are really super interested in the old maps for more than a period of their life is because the old maps no longer speak to the current situation. So using another metaphor, we were just at the uh, Edo period uh, panorama or diorama at the uh, Tokyo Edo, 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 anyway, wherever. 
And it's, you know, having a map of the Edo, Edo period Tokyo wouldn't really help you terribly much in Tokyo now, would it? Okay, the rivers are still there? Barely. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> and there are still some trees around occasionally. Mm -hmm. But it, fundamentally the idea is that this Edo period map isn't going to be terribly, terribly useful in modern-day uh, Tokyo, but it's still maybe relevant enough to be useful, but not as useful as having a, a you know, a Google Earth map of today. So the the new emerging nature of the awakening teaching right, planetarily is a overlay, right, or a new map, right, that's sitting on top of the old maps of Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, and so on, taking you to where you supposedly want to go from the point of view of a human being, which is to the awakening, right? So, the old maps were useful, but they're not being used really properly in some ways for how, how they were designed. So, for instance, as a Theravadan Buddhist, and you can apply this to um, any of the maps, Christianity as well, and so on, but just by way of example, the Theravadan map was to become awakened through the Theravadan model, you became a monk or a nun. End of the story. You went into monastic training, you took the vows, you cut your hair, you gave away your clothes, you dropped your family. You, didn't, you may not have seen your family maybe once uh, every five years for the rest of your life. Right? You had a different job, you had a different lineage, and you had a different career. It was basically renunciation, abandonment of an inherent self-identity. Right? That's what happens when you shave your head, you drop your clothes, and you get rid of all your friends and pictures and photographs. And it was effective map. It worked. For those that did it, for those that did it, it worked pretty well. That they had quite a huge success rate. But not many people are willing to do that anymore, and not many people want to live that life anymore. And, and the reason they don't is because it, it lacks a certain richness of experience. So along came the Mahayana and the Vajrayana, and they talked more to where people were living. But again, they talked they talked at it from the point of view of tribal mind, hmm? tribal mind, and social cultural conditioning of a culture that they lived in. So those maps have also become very useful for a period of time, but again, they're they're still embedded a little bit too much in cultural and social paradigms. That just to name two, the role of women and the rights of women, I suppose, and the empowerment of women in terms of independent choice, independent direction, independent decision, and so on. So you know that doesn't work very well just as a starting as a starting point. And then I, again, the idea that the that was built on hierarchy. Right, that the that the uh, the whole population down at the base really had to work to support the ongoing rise to the top, and often your head lamas were also by <laughs> happened to be nobles. <laughs> Curious about that, uh, because they got the better education and so on. So uh, this old paradigm worked and continues to work, yeah, continues to work, but work, but it isn't quite where we want to be. For instance, uh, you probably all know about ice hockey, the game. You've seen it, or you, uh, you've either done it or seen it, or you've seen it on TV. And uh, the interesting thing is that somebody's done some research, and they found uh, that if you were born, and I'm not, I'm not sure of the months, but if you're born between September and November or something like that, your chances of being in NHL, the National Hockey League, which is the professional pinnacle of hockey, if you're born between, like, I don't know, August and November, your chances of being an NHL hockey player are much greater than if you're born at another time of the year.
Why is that? Because the, the cutoff for the age to play uh, minor hockey as a, as a child starts for those kids first. So the kid born in, say, September has eight months of training more than the kid born in July because the age limit to get in for the training starts at that time. So the, the five-year-old or the six-year-old who's born in September has an eight-month advantage on the kid who's just a few months younger than him but has to wait till the next year to play. So by the time the next kid comes along, the first kid already has eight months of training, eight months of experience, and eight months of attention. And, of course, they're therefore, at that age, especially when they're young and small, they're a little better. So the coaches naturally focus on the kids that are a little better, thinking that they may eventually. And so this kid has an advantage starting from very young age, and by the time he's 18 or 19, he, he's had a whole huge advantage based on the way the map was designed, based on how the, how the design was. And so, so too, if you're born in Tibet or the Himalayas or in India and you had a good education and you came from upper-middle-class parents and you had uh, resources and you had amas or housemaids and nurses and your parents could introduce you to you know, the riches of your culture, mathematics or science, or had a huge advantage. So this model in terms of awakening being something that you had a special talent for right. was already prejudicially built into the system, like the hockey player, because of early exposure to possibilities. So we have to start looking more and more at the map, how the map's built, how the map's designed, and who the map's for. So that's number one. Number one is what do you want? The second thing is the map. Well, the map part is very interesting, too, because if you're going to um, Tokyo and you're living in Kyoto and there's maps being handed out, right? which map do you get? Well, your parents have never been to Tokyo. Hmm? Your parents have only been to Osaka. So they go, well, so Osaka's on the way to Tokyo, but we can give you the map to Osaka. Or we can give you the map to Nagoya. Am I going the right way? Nagoya is better. Nagoya. Uh, we can give you the map to Shizuoka, right, or wherever, right? But yeah, we can't give you the map to Tokyo because we haven't been there. And besides which, we don't really believe Tokyo exists. What we suggest you do is go to Shizuoka and get a really good job in husband, right, and kids and wife, and, you know, and get a professional career and, you know, do some yoga and, you know, we can go on, shop whatever else is in the mantle of the experience, right? But, you know, Tokyo's, you know, it's really far away, and I'm not, we're not really sure it exists anyway, and if it does, what are you going to get there that you don't have here, and don't you want to just move in with us, and, you know, the store, <laughs> and we can visit you every day. Yeah. So the next thing that you need beside a good map is you have to, you have to want to go. You know, it's no good having a map to Tokyo and not wanting to go. You have the best map to Tokyo. Oh yeah, here's a here's the Theravadan map to awakening, but fundamentally, it's too far to go, and I'm too old, and it's too tiring, and I don't want it anyway. Right? So there has to be a desire to actually go to Tokyo. Right? So between the desire and the map, you know, to ask for directions. Well, with the map, you don't really need it, but but considering the teacher is part of the map paradigm, or friends that you meet along the way, you know, they say, well, actually, no, that that turn there is good, but it's going to take you an extra couple of days and you want to try this way so yes but um, the uh, issue is that let's say you get given a map to Tokyo 
And then along comes John and says, um, can I see your map? This, is not, this metaphor is starting to fall apart here. But the issue is control. So you have three things now. You have to have the vision, right? I want to be awakened. You have to have the map, you know, how do I, where's a viable path to get me there successfully, and see who's in control of it. Now, the control of it is huge, because that's where we run into all our problems. Because some of the map actually isn't literal, it's metaphoric. So if, you, if you're in control of the map and you're a literalist, how are you going to interpret the map? Literally. Literally. So the map makers can't, unfortunately, give you a literal map to it because it's a metaphorical journey, I mean, in the sense of, of the map itself. Right? And so they say, well, it's, this is a very good map, and it's a useful map, but it's a metaphorical map. And so the problem with the transcendent aspect for most people is the control aspect because fundamentally what happens when you lose control? You're vulnerable to... There's only one person you're worried about. Mommy. I'm sorry. We love mommies, but it all comes down to mommy. Before your ego even began to evolve, right, at around two, you and mommy were one unit. You didn't exist as a separate entity in your own field of experience. You were her, and she was you. And you were completely and totally... Dependent. dependent. Now look at the language. You're completely and totally dependent upon this thing called mother. And when you got to be two and you started to realize you're different, your terror, and I, I don't speak terror in an ego sense because your ego is not strong enough yet to be terror, but the terror of separation is humongous. So you've spent from that time until now getting in more control. One, to keep the terror at bay. Two, to maintain your individuality and not be subsumed back into a dependent state as you were with your mother. And three, it turns out your mother wasn't the Buddha. You thought when she was two, she was God, right? When you were two, mother was God. She was food, she was warmth, she was protection, she was survival, she was she was the, the everything. Father, not so important in this equation. Father is a secondary force. He plays a very important role, but usually not until later. So you have these kind of issues coming together. I want to be in control, which means if I give up control, who am I giving it up to? Mother. And if I give it up to mother and mother is not an awakened being, therefore I will be lost. And C, then I, having been given up control to mother and being dependent on mother, I have now lost my individuality. I've become, a, I've become an automaton or a robot. This is the absolute bottom line fear, the, the main issue for every human being uh, throughout their life. Who's in control and what I'm afraid of? Are you afraid of disappearing? That what's your biggest fear of disappearing? You know you can't go back to mother. You're too old for that. So what would be the closest thing you can think of that would put you in that place of being out of control? Well, mental illness. So most people are more afraid of mental illness than being controlled by their mummies <laughs> because mental illness is a real possibility. You know, you see people around you who are maybe uh, schizophrenic or psychotic or sociopaths or uh, psychopaths, worse, mm -hmm. and you see people fracturing and falling apart regularly, it's, and, and you're going to see more and more of it, by the way. So the, the fear of mental illness is, is managed 
keeping you from mental illness by being in control. So the, the, the idea of giving up control isn't just like handing control over to some other person, i.e. mother, but it's also a fear of losing your sense of who you are. It's a fear of disappearing, of being absorbed. And the, and the closest thing to connect to that is the fear of mental illness, where I'm no longer compus mentis. I'm no longer sane. So many, uh, many years ago, uh, in Kyoto, as it turns out, I was looking for a new rosary, mala, and, and uh, we went to a mala store. I guess it was a Jodo Shinshu shop or something like that. Probably Rinzai Zen. Probably Rinzai Zen store. And the guy who's in charge of making rosaries, basically, to cut a long story short, um, he wanted me to have a Japanese-style rosary. I said, no, it's very good. I... Japanese rosaries are fine, but I like it this style. He said, oh, you can't do that. Well, why, why can't I do that? I mean, you can't string beads on a rosary on a string any other way than this way. So he said, well, you know, what's it for? And I said, well, it's for meditation. He said, oh, meditation. He said, oh, meditation will drive you crazy. <laughs> and I said, no, meditation doesn't drive you crazy. Life drives you crazy. Meditation shows you that life is crazy. Right? And if you don't meditate, then you can assume that life is normal. But the minute you start meditating, life looks pretty crazy. Therefore, meditation doesn't drive you crazy. Life drives you crazy. At that point, he left. <laughs> and his wife and mother-in-law took over uh, serving us, and they were very happy. They, uh, we, I guess we hit a fear. Huh? We, hit a, we hit a place of terror in his being, the fear of being out of control, crazy. So in terms of the awakening experience, you have to meet these fears. You have to meet the fear of being out of control. You have to meet the fear of being crazy. You have to meet the fear of losing your identity. Because that's how the ego has projected the awakening experience back into itself for the reason for not doing it. Oh, I can't awaken because I'm not smart enough or I'm not young enough or I'm a woman or... Uh, I don't want to be a monk or a nun, you know, so I can't do it. And it's not really that you can't do it, because the depth of your being knows you can. <laughs> the depth of your being is prepared for it. It's like a woman is born with all her eggs, right, at birth. At birth, a girl baby has all the eggs she's going to have as a woman, as a mature woman in her whole life. She knows, in a sense, even though she doesn't know, the organism knows that it's that, that this is part of the program or part of the potential program. So, too, your brain, your body, your organism as a human being knows it has the capability and the possibility for awakening. Now, whether it gets pregnant <laughs> or not uh, takes some kind of impregnation. impregnation. So the awakening idea, if you will, taking this to a new metaphor, because I like mixing metaphors, is the sperm. Your human experience, your human potential is the egg, right? The awakening consciousness is the sperm, right? If you allow that sperm, if you allow that seed, that bija, that thought, or that aspiration, or that motivation into your being, then the egg is ready to receive it. But you have to be willing to go there. Now the ego goes, uh-uh, mm -mm, no way, I'm going to be a virgin for the rest of my life. Because it's Sex is a little bit out of control, right? 
I mean, you know, sex is no longer, we assume, <laughs> sex is no longer just you. There's somebody else in the room, right? And that some other, of course, by definition to the ego, other is always a threat. So what do we try to do with others? We try to control them. How do we do that? We try to control them and we try to manipulate them. We do it in a number of ways. One, we don't choose anybody who we feel we can't control or who we can't manipulate. That's number one. So first of all, we eliminate all those women or guys who we feel we can't control or can't manipulate. Another way is to attract people who we feel we can. That would be the corollary. What else? We try to make them into us. You ever notice this in relationship? If your boyfriend or your girlfriend doesn't think the way you think about something, you feel a little, you know, it's, oh, we're not communicating, or maybe I'm not the right guy, or we're not on the same page. Actually, it has very little to do with that. It's that if you have somebody in your mandala who doesn't see it your way, you feel threatened. You feel threatened that you're wrong. That takes you back to being subsumed by mother. You get a feeling that, that they don't love you. In most conventional ways, when we say I love somebody, it means I can control them. Or I can manipulate them in such a way. Or I, I'm with her because I like being controlled by her. Or I'm with her because I like the way she controls me. Or I like the way she manipulates me. Or I'm with him because I like the way he controls me. And I like the way he manipulates me. And this is what we call love. Because love is usually a deal. It's usually a deal about your ego and their ego being able to dance to similar music. And, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not putting this down at any level, but it's the map to uh, Shizoka. That map will get you to Shizoka. That map will get you to Nagoya. That map doesn't get you to Tokyo. Now, the, the problem is, is that society out there, Hollywood and whatever the Japanese equivalent of Hollywood is, Bollywood in India, they're all telling you that this map will get you to Tokyo, and in fact the map's taking you to Nagoya. Don't get me wrong, Nagoya, Shizuoka, perfectly decent places to be, but it ain't Tokyo. Now it turns out that the metaphor has problems because you can get to Tokyo and still be in Nagoya, but, you know, we're stuck with the... In other words, you can still be married and, and have a family and so on, and be awakened, but you can't you can't have the family and the uh, profession and the kids being a false destination for Tokyo. You got to bring, you got to bring the kids and the husband to Tokyo, and not try to take Tokyo to the husband and kids. It doesn't work that way. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Thank you.